0: For those who don't know, um, today has been a day filled with composers and sound teams, and we just had a great uh, masterclass with a video game composer. So those who don't know, Nathan uh, was re- recently featured on the cover of Mix magazine, which is a big that's a big achievement, especially on the cover of something that I, I feel like it, it's hard these days to bring recognition and attention to all the crafts, all, all the wonderful compositions and works, and um, for me, I had never met Nathan. And when I started reading about his work, reading about his story and how he got here, for people who haven't, who aren't familiar with you, you have a really interesting story of how you got, I guess, in 96, you came to LA. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I came here in 96. And I met um, Hans Zimmer. And I worked for him for about uh, eight months as his assistant. He was, uh, for those of you who don't know, he wasn't driving at the time. So he, I was actually his driver. So I would, I would. It was one of those 180s in life where I was on a Monday driving packages around town, and then on a Friday I was picking up him up in his DB7 and driving him down PCH, and he was screaming at me and whatever else.
0: So, how do you get from Hans Zimmer yelling at you to working with him? How how does that happen? How do you transition that? What what was the?
1: I'm thing? actually joking. We had a really great working relationship, and um, he um, it I was sort of like being thrown in the deep end of the pool. And as so many as you guys know, he's he's uh, fostered so many careers, and I got my first feature pretty quick when I was there. And then I decided to go out on my own. Uh, I really am someone who who just wanted to do it sort of my way. Uh, I worked very differently from him, and um, I've never regretted it. But it was an incredible learning ground. Of course.
0: So so much of of your childhood, you uh grew up in Kyoto, is that right? in, in, uh, in, in uh yeah, in uh, Sangobashi. Was okay, decade, okay. Yeah. So gr- growing up in in Japan, uh you were in a household full of music. Your mother was a musician. Uh did you always know that I want to become a composer? Like when did when did it when did that all make sense to you maybe?
1: Yeah, so I think um growing up in Japan, we had a couple of Japanese instruments around like a kodo. Do you guys know what a kodo is? Yeah kodo and uh, shakuhachi and some of those things and um so as a kid i would just sort of have a lot of fun experimenting with those and um i guess i was composing already without even knowing it so um that was kind of the beginning of it and uh, i just loved um picking up instruments that i was totally unfamiliar with and and trying to sort of figure out how to make sounds of them and I, i realized pretty early you don't have to be a player of an instrument to do interesting things with it so while I'm a cellist and a guitarist, um, I like I don't play organ, but I, I'm getting a lot of great sounds out of that thing, so.
0: If you bought, well, we're going to talk about this, because this is how, how part of the reason why he's featured on. There's an organ in the background behind him, if, if you haven't seen this picture. And, and there's a wonderful story about how it, I don't know the story how how it came to be in your hands, but we'll, I don't want to talk about that quite yet. But I'd love to understand, OK, so you're in LA. You've met Hans, and you've done a few projects. What type of projects were you doing, and what like how did you stay afloat? Was it your full-time job at that point? like how did you describe those times?
1: Yeah, so like after I left Hans, uh, his, one of his assistants at the time, her fiance, was working for Richard Kraft. You guys know that agent, Richard Kraft, and um, so I was hip pocketed by Rich, and he got me a feature, and yeah, so I was just starting to make just enough money to kind of eke by. Um, and then, as all of you know, like you kind of need that one project that puts you on the map. And for me, on TV side of things, that was True Blood. And so I got that in 2008. And um, the minute that happened, like I haven't stopped working since. Um, so it's just everyone needs that one project, and, and people get it at different times of their career. Uh, some people get super lucky and have it right up front. Some people 10 years in, whatever it is. Uh,
0: that's a lovely story. Everyone would love to have a true blood fall on their lap, but you're talking about a lot of preparation to get to that point when you can even set up, step, step up to the plate and be ready to give that show what it, it called for. So what was the combination of being prepared and the right timing? I and mean, that's what people right. kind of describe that combination as the perfect sauce.
1: Yeah, so I think, um, again, I think when we as composers get aligned with the director who who makes films that a lot of people see. Um, that's really wonderful. Uh, Eli was that guy for me. It's Eli Roth. Eli Roth, yeah. yeah. And so I did Hostel, Cabin Fever, Hostel, Hostel 2. Um, and my score to Hostel ended up in the cutting room of True Blood. And they cut it in. And I went in to meet with HBO and Alan Ball. Um, and I watched it. And I said, you know, this it doesn't really work. But I, I appreciate you having me here. I think it's the yeah. wrong score, though, for your show. And they really loved that I had sort of shot shot, shot that down. I, I gave them sort of my pitch of what I would do, which was sort of like not to go Southern, uh, to sort of let the songs do that, and then to to really free up the score to be what it wanted to be. Um, but by that time, I had my sound. I had started to have my sound, which is like a, I have a whole bunch of, I have probably hundreds of instruments. And uh, the way I love working is just pulling things off the wall or, or picking them up and just starting to make noises with them. And that sort of became sort of a thing that I started to be known for.
0: What can you say about living in both TV and film? What's what's good, what's bad, what happens when they overlap? Because neither of those schedules, I think, would ever align. No, no schedule ever aligns. But what is it like managing a TV film type of you know workload?
1: Yeah, I think it's like uh, TV is really nice because depending on how many episodes are in a season, like you, you can really develop a sound over time. Um, so something we write as composers, like just a little three or four note thing in, a, in the first episode of season one could become a full-blown giant part of the show by the time you get to the 70th episode or whatever it is. Um, in terms of schedule-wise, uh, I mean, films tend to be longer schedules. Um, um, well, that's not true, but I mean, on a per-episode basis, TV's shorter, of course. But yeah, you can sort of make them line up. I, I usually do a film and then a couple TV shows at the same time, so.
0: And also, uh, just the fact that, like you said, you met Eli Roth, who, who I'm sure has a whole bullpen of projects that he's ready to just, you know, get get greenlit. Why do you think that relationship was so good? What is it about this eclectic instrumentation that you surround yourself with? Why did you guys connect so well together? And and why do you think? Also, when I look at your films. There's a lot of horror, darker tonality. There's a. What is it about what you enjoyed doing that that makes this this collaboration so great
1: well eli walked in and saw my horror dvd collection and later he told me like that's why he kind of felt like we'd be working well together like i want to hang out with this guy (laughs) yeah exactly and then uh eli's like a kitchen sink guy a lot of the time like he loves to throw anything and everything he can at at a certain scene um and so i think he just liked the eclectic eclectus eclectus eclecta it's a word. Collectivism, whatever. It is now. It is now. Uh, anyhow, he like the uh, that part of my work. He really enjoyed. Um, and um, I, how many people here have seen Cabin Fever or Hostel or Hostel Two or any of those? Some people. They're super dark. Um, and they're I remember I got sort of a, you get immune to it working on all the time. And so I, there was this horrendously violent scene, and I showed a couple friends. And they came in and. I was laughing, which is kind of Eli's intent in a way. And I look back and they were just both white in the face and horrified. I was like, oh my god. If
0: we advance the slide, Um, the next one here is from the show The Americans. So for a show like this, is this the first thing they give you? Is this the last thing they give you? Like, so I imagine like, here's like maybe 45, 60 seconds to kind of like establish- 22. 20, okay, 22, yeah. excuse me. Well, it felt like a lot, it felt really good, it felt nice. <laughs> what can you say about something like that? When you have an opening of credits, when do they, like, when does an opening of such a, an important part of a show show up in your lap? And how does that also then kind of help understand like, it, it, um, inform the rest of the show? Like, how important can you say the opening of a show can be for
1: for a composer? Yeah, I, I think it's like, a, for compo- us as composers, how many composers are here? Great, cool. <laughs> so yeah, as composers, like, one of the most exciting things we get to do is write a main title, because it's the single most piece of, it's it's the piece that gets identified with the show more than anything else, even if it's not in the body of the score. And so this, that was actually the longer version. It was like 27 or 28 seconds. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 22 seconds, you got to say as much as you can about the show. Um, it's the music they say that they, someone hears in the other room and runs back in to sit down. <laughs> um, and so that's Elizabeth's theme. Um, and they gave it to me pretty early. And it was like, you can see the images are very sort of uh, fast, rapid fire. And so the score wanted to be that, too. And that's all me playing basically everything. It's, uh, it's piano. It's a dulcimer. It's a... Uh, Thing I call a butchered piano, which is this piano I, c- I cut in half. It's a cello. Um, it's um, yeah, a bunch of how long? Bass.
0: How long did it take you? And how many iterations? How many demos? Like, it's great. Two. To
1: yeah, it was two. It was just oh, just wow. two demos. Yeah, there's okay. that one sort of chromatic note in there. I I I that was the first version I wrote, and I thought, oh, it's a little bit weird for them. They're probably not gonna like it. So I I got rid of that. Sent it to them and they said, "Can you make it a bit weirder?" And I just sent the other version. They're like, "It's great." So yeah, that stuff happens. Yeah.
0: You make this sound super easy, and I know it's not this easy. This one was easy actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sometimes, right. as, as all right.
1: you all know, it's like sometimes, it, sometimes you get lucky and it is easy. Like you just plug right in. Like House of the Clock on its walls. That was yeah. one of the easiest scores I've ever written. It was just yeah. a, you, you just sort of slip into it and it just feels comfortable and you, you're you're there.
0: Which we're going to talk about. And I think a good way to segue into that is. You recently acquired, acquired is not even the right word, you recently took ownership, you you took responsibility for this beautiful Wurlitzer organ that used to uh, be, was it Fox? Yeah, it was built for Fox. Fox. So how does one find an organ? (laughs) (laughs) And then why did you want it so badly?
1: So back in the early days of the studios, Warner Brothers, Universal, uh, Paramount, Fox, everyone had a pipe organ. In on their scoring stage. Um, and they look like this. This is a theater organ. So Wurlitzer built this for the Fox scoring stage in 1928. So this particular instrument is the instrument you hear in The Day the Earth Stood Still, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Sound of Music, Patton, Star Trek. John Williams has used it about five or six times. Jerry Goldsmith has probably used it more than anyone else. Um, so it has this incredibly rich history in, um, in Hollywood. And it was completely forgotten about. And most of these instruments were tossed out by the 30s or 40s because the minute talkies come in, they were sort of useless to people. Fox, for whatever reason, held onto theirs until 98, 97, 98, and then when they were redoing the Newman scoring stage, they um, sold it off. And Armin Steiner, if you guys have heard of him, Armin is a legendary scoring mixer, He walked in one morning, and it was laid out in pieces of the scoring stage, and he like hit the roof. He's like, how dare you just sell this off? And so someone in the theater organ world, which is this tiny community, had somehow convinced them they didn't need it anymore. And so they sold it off. It went into uh, crates. Uh, it's an enormous instrument. It's, it's
0: huge. Like There's no way to quantify. I mean, we have some video here, too.
1: The world's theater organ behind me yes. is one of probably five or six instruments that the Hollywood studio system had in the golden age. Because it's an organ, it has pedals. I can add the piano into that, so I'm actually now playing not only bass pipes, but the piano with my feet.
2: I wanted the movie to have its own unique and distinct score. This can't sound like anything else we've ever done before. Great. That sounded right. I said I wanted something that had that magic spooky quality. It's gonna give us a
1: really unique sound for this film.
2: Nate has spent the last five years restoring a -a one-of-a-kind 1928 Wurlitzer organ that is from the silent film era.
1: It was built for Fox Studios on their scoring stage and used in The Sound of Music, Pat and Star Trek. Uh, Bernard Herrmann used it in The Day of the Earth Stood Still and Journey to the Sound of the Earth. It's got this sort of amazing history. Wurlitzer wanted to give a single organist as much of a possibility as possible to complement the film.
2: And at some point it's just boxed up. So Nate bought it, hand restored it, and built a studio for the organ.
1: You have something called the marimba tap. It actually just repeats that note. So you can hold it down and it'll play the chords.
2: Back when the silent films were in theaters, you had an organ that not only played the score, but did all the sound effects. Listen to what happens.
1: Everything you hear, there's no speakers. It's actual mechanical stuff up there, which is so amazing.
2: You had all these different instruments built into it.
1: So I'm going to press this button and you'll see those wind chimes. So just such an amazing universe of sound. The organ actually occupies six rooms. I remember the first time I walked in and saw the actual pipe work and the innards of an organ, and I just, like, my mind was blowing. Each one of these pipes uh, makes a certain kind of sound. Amazing.
2: It's so bizarre and haunting in old worlds And we were the first movie to use it in 25 years.
1: Think about the technology that went into creating this and making it all accessible from one player. It's just like mind blowing. And I I just love
2: it. There's just nothing like it.
0: Pretty amazing.
1: (laughs) Eli said, I hand restored it. I did not. It was hand restored, not by me. (laughs) But you can see the scope of it. You know, it's enormous. It occupies six rooms um, physically. and it, it was uh, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, um, working with the uh, organ restoration team and the organ installation team, and then building literally the entire studio around it. It was just—it's—it's uh, it's now worth it. We finished about oh, two, sure. two weeks ago, but
0: yeah. Sh- the next slide also has a, uh, some more pictures, and um, my understanding is that you when you been so you were saying you you built a studio but you built you bu- you had a new studio but you built the studio around this like this is the centerpiece kind of like the framework was around this like was this a thought when you bought it like you buy it and now what
1: yeah i bought it and and i knew i had to find a building that could fit this instrument <laughs> and in the process like if if you they say the most important stop on an organ is the room you listen to it in so if you, if you have like this tiny little room, you're listening to this instrument, it's going to sound terrible. So it required a pretty large room to listen in. So the scoring stage um, was built because of the organ. And in the process, I got a room that I can fit 50, 60 players in, and it sounds beautiful. It's got a second and a half reverb time. And it works for the organ and for all these other purposes. But yeah, no, it's a... Uh, it's a i mean it, it, i can spend hours talking about it but and yeah
0: so so you you now are the proud owner of an organ and now you want to use it and not only do you use it like you, it influences the recent film you just did i mean it seems that, like it's spread across and we have some clips some like demos we'll go to the next slide the house with uh a clock and its walls recently just came out i mean not that not long ago it was, how long ago it was? yeah
1: it's, uh, it came out number one uh three weeks ago
0: i mean that's awesome um so let's play this video and i think this is a good example of how you take an instrument and you try. All right, now I have to use it, and not only do i, I going to use it, it's going to be the perfect fit. And obviously, like Eli articulated that, like this is this was the thing that we didn't know we needed. You know, so let's play that next one here.
1: Incredible, that's just one instrument. That's just one theater organ. So all the symbols you hear, the piano, the xylophone, the celeste, everything is just a Wurlitzer. Um, and so you really have to expand your idea of what a pipe organ is and can be when you think about these instruments.
0: I think the la- th- speaking of Hans, like Interstellar, like you brought you know, the pipe organ back, and that was a feature, a centerpiece of his score. In this case, you took it even a step further, and you kind of like everything is almost in a way. I mean, you yeah, also this, to, this yeah. Is the cue. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that cue. Yeah. 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 And, and so this
1: is, and that's a church. Uh, what Hans uses is a church organ and this is a theater right. organ. So they're very different beasts right. as you can hear. Um, I think most people would hear that and not identify that as an organ,
0: but there's some incredible energy dynamics and like just an emotion that is attached to this. We have our association to an organ. There's like a little bit like a carousel, a circus. Like there's so many uses that, it's been used over the years. I can imagine for you, like you, you had a secret, and you were just like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with this." And then once I figure it out, I mean, what was the education process like? You to understand like the uniqueness of an instrument like this.
1: Yeah, it's like a whole universe of sounds. Like you're, you're just like a kid sitting at in, a, in front of a toy chest. You just open it, and I didn't know. I knew what it could do to an extent, but when you sit down as a composer and just start popping down tabs, which is what I'm still doing, and going, oh, that's an amazing sound. And and doing so not from the mind of being a professional theater organist, but just a composer, uh, it's it's so inspiring. I mean, it's the most inspiring thing. And the, 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 the next show I'm doing, I'm using this as like a synth, you know? It, it is an early synth. This was These instruments were built to approximate the sound of an orchestra. Um, so sitting down and just Thinking about it from that approach as opposed to something else is really important. I
0: think if we go to the next clip here, this is a really good example. Uh, let's um, pull it up here. Maybe do you want to set this up? And Do you remember this one?
1: What this yeah, is? so this is um, this is one of the scenes in the film that allowed to have like just a solo theater organ track. Um, that whole thing, if, if you build it, they will come. Like I never knew when I would be able to use this instrument and I saw the rough cut of this film, and there's actual scene where Lewis, the kid, starts looking into an old Nickelodeon. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like, the only thing you could put there is theater organ. So this is um, a traditional use of this instrument, um, yeah.
0: Cool, let's, let's check that out.
3: They were best friends. They were. Once.
2: Isaac was an orphan, and Jonathan a runaway. Neither of them had family. All they had was magic. And each other. Then Isaac went away to war. He was fighting in Germany when he went MIA. Months passed, then suddenly Isaac came back home. But it wasn't the same Isaac different and angry and more powerful than any warlock had the right to be
3: oh. what happened to him yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah what Thanks. like okay i'm still trying to like understand like this is the perfect project for this instrument. like did you have how ha- Did you pitch it? Like, is it just like, this is like, this is the sound of this film, obviously, and you didn't, like, put that much emphasis on the organ. Like, yeah.
1: That's just the finishing of the studio coincided with this film. And so I, that's why it was such a crazy coincidence. And then Eli came in and heard it and, like, just flipped out. And he's like, this is so amazing. And then Amblin heard it and loved it, and Universal heard it and loved it and became a bigger and bigger part of the score.
0: I mean, it's not like you can just go on to, like, Pro Tools store and, like, buy the plug-in. It's not like... This is not the case there's how many of these do you think even exist
1: I mean in the world, there are a couple hundred yeah. but but of this level of restoration and installation uh a handful yeah. and of Hollywood history none this is the only one left um so yeah, no it's it's uh it's uh people got on board pretty quick. I mean they understand that it was a very special thing
0: so going back to my original question back when you first found about about the opportunity like was it a question of like was there any question in your mind like it was just like i have to seize this opportunity like was there any question that you you,
1: yeah yeah film history and film music history is really important to me it's it's why we're all here because of what people have done before us and so um i had thought about a studio built around a pipe organ because i love a pipe organ and then when I found out this instrument was available and its history, I thought this like this was going to be forgotten about. The guy who restored it is in his 70s. I don't know how long he'll be around. And I, when he died, I don't know where it would have gone. So it's just like it was this it was this moment where I just didn't even have a choice. I had to I had to do it.
0: When you're talking about the fact that now that people are aware that you have it and obviously when you're on the cover of Mix magazine with an organ in the back I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> it's it's really incredible to think of the possibility of what's to come because now I mean I would think too. that oh, okay Nathan you're not I, I really don't I hope and I don't think people are gonna be like oh well Nathan has this thing that's obviously not the only thing he has you have a bunch of other instruments so what's like you're the current owner of this organ
1: yeah I mean like Danny Elfman just used it in the Grinch uh, he came in and um, was really blown away by the sound of it so I'm definitely looking to continue the history of this instrument um, and I think uh, hopefully my reputation is in a place where you know, people aren't going to go, oh, this guy only does pipe organ music. You know? That's
0: what I'm wondering is, like, you're now the pipe organ guy, and like, good or bad, I mean, you could make pipe pipe organ music the rest of it,
1: sure. yeah no I think and I think also I've had a lot of people come visit and the studio while it's built around the pipe organ I have a lot of other interesting right instruments. obviously yeah and then the yeah. room itself sounds spectacular so I think people get excited about that too um, mm-hmm. for me as a uh, how many of you are also musicians in addition to composers yeah so like and, and how many of you like being a musician is probably very much a part of your composing process right like you're sitting down to something. Yeah. And that's the same for me. I mean, I remember hearing stories of like Shostakovich or someone like that, and sit at the kitchen table, his wife was cooking and write, you know, write out his his music. And that's amazing, but I I I uh, like probably you, I want to sit down to an instrument and actually be a be a, a part of the process, you know. That's that's how I um like this instrument, I I've written some stuff on here I never would have written on anything else cuz I don't know my way around it.
0: I think that's a really important kind of le- lesson or an opportunity here, which is get out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself because like, I think no one wants to feel like they're phoning it in or just doing what they know is safe or expected. So I think that's a really interesting kind of takeaway here is that, well, not everyone needs to have a pipe organ to have that experience, but that in of itself, I mean, um, for you now, like uh, two of the recent projects you did was Carnival Row and, and obviously the house with the clock on its walls. What is it now about like, with the new studio, like how does this how does this help support your process? How does it um, change it up? Like I, I know you know people very much love. I have my speakers. I know my studio sound. Don't touch it. But you just created something new. So what is it about the what do you like about the space that you've created for yourself? Because not everyone. Also, a lot of people are working out of very small rooms or you know in different scenarios. So what is it about your current situation that really is supporting you and maybe even allowing you to do things that you never Obviously, right. besides the organ.
1: Yeah, I mean I think ever since I came out here, I wanted to build a big, beautiful acoustic room that, that sounded amazing. Like that was just gonna be a part of my process. Um and I think so I have a bunch of different instruments in this room. There was a picture of oh, uh, yeah, we'll um, And I just bounced from station to station. Well, maybe not.
0: Actually, I don't know if I do have the picture. I'm sorry.
1: There was one in yeah. there at the beginning that I saw, but anyhow. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um, the process is is a bit more complicated now because it involves a lot more microphones and all that kind of thing in terms of the way I work. But um, I just love being in a room with the with a mic and actually just making sounds. Um, I prefer that for me than than sitting at a synth. Like I don't that doesn't uh, uh, fill my soul the way the way having an, an actual instrument in my hands does. Um, so I think, um, I'm thinking about, um, the way something sounds as part of the composing process, like where I'm going to be seated in the room, how are the mics going to go, how does that suit the story or the scene in particular? Um, that's, uh, all, yeah, that's all really important. And that, that's sort of changing the way I think about it. Um, and I, am doubling down with a studio like this, that these, there's still room in the world for places like this. You guys know the bridge just closed? The Bridges was just a wonderful studio. It's it's appalling that that closed in this town, this town of all places, where it's where there's so many amazing musicians. Um, and, and they were fairly booked. Yep. Um, Fantasy the same way in, yeah. in the Bay Area. Fantasy yeah. just closed, fully booked. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a, a new wave of people opening studios who are composers. Um, Blake Neely, if you guys know him, Blake has a really awesome studio. And I think that's sort of where things are headed. Um, and... and um, Peter Cobbin from Abbey Road uh, 2 years ago he said for his ears uh, plugins and and the software were now um, completely um, you can't tell the difference you can't tell the difference, difference 2 years ago up until then it made no sense from from libraries and the various yes. okay. and not not like the sounds of sampled instruments right, yeah, right. but just yeah but uh, your ability to record and and so i think um, um, he, he sort of saw that as a reason not to put a console in this place. I didn't want to have a big mixing console. I wanted to just sort of be a part of the next generation. So while the recording capabilities are going into the box, mm-hmm. uh, everything else is still out in the real world. And I would much rather move a mic around this room than pull up a, a, mouse a, or pull up a yeah, cathedral yeah. or something in the box, I just don't, I, I wanted a space that I could actually be inspired sit, just by sitting in it.
0: Get up out of your chair and the physicality of it, right? Yeah,
1: just the sound of a solo cello in this room is amazing, uh, the sound of an orchestra is amazing, and the organ, and it's just, it It, uh, it introduces a, a whole level of um, excitement to the process of being a composer that, that doesn't exist for me when it's just me at a laptop or something.
0: Um, before we open up to a few questions, I'd love to just crack, the question of, you know, I think so many people are so curious of, obviously you said like meeting a producer, meeting a director who has a stable of projects, who really connects with you is always going to be a road into a long, successful, hopefully creative career. What what are some other takeaways that just looking back on your own career, like what has really proven tr- and been true to you to help you kind of grow as an artist and composer and and, and stay busy because we all know we, you know it's so easy to go online and find thousands of tracks and yet we get it's so easy to get lost in in, in this world now as as an up and coming em, emerging um, composer but what, what are some of the takeaways that you'd offer to someone who is in that process of getting their their, their name out
1: yeah i mean i've done i'm known sort of mostly for my tv work i've done 38 feature films uh, most of them, um, for whatever various reasons, are not seen by people. So this was the first one, in, in a way, with a much larger audience. Um, so I think, um, uh, where was I going to go with that? Um,
0: you, you ha- it's not an overnight success? It's not. No,
1: it's not. I think, I mean, so much of it is just getting yourself out there to as many people as possible so that one of them might hit. And uh, Eli is one of those guys. And, and I think there is, a, there is a degree of luck. And so I think it's really about developing your own unique voice from the very beginning and sticking to it no matter what. And that's what I've tried to do. Um, and while this filmmaker may not be interested in me, I don't sort of tailor my music just to start working with them. I have my sound, and I hope that that attracts the filmmakers who are interested in my sound specifically. So I think developing your own unique voice Meeting as many people as you can, whether it's a short film or whatever, and then knowing that that lucky break comes along. You know, you know some. Uh, um, I think of Carter Rowell, You know, a, a, a super talented guy.
0: Yes, yeah, so with Carter, I love Coen Brother films. I love amazing, uh, not only Coen but other. Films yeah, too, yeah,
1: but but also yeah. really lucky. Like Re- just yeah, sure. Coen Brothers was his first relationship. I mean, um, that's extraordinary. So, it's uh, it's it's it's, and he has such a unique sound too. So, I think it's just it's uh, yeah, it's just being unique because I think a lot of people can um, sound like a bunch of other different things and and have a have a very busy career that way. But I know for me, I, I that's not the road I wanted to take. And and this putting this organ in is obviously a, again doubling down on that too. It's
0: a really great answer. Um, some questions here. We got a microphone right there.
1: Thank you. Hi Nathan. Hi. Um, I have a quick question about your process. Since you do play so many instruments and um, and 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 work in sort of an organic way uh, w- with your dog, do you do you also still treat some of those elements and create maybe like sample libraries and do, and approach it that way as well, or is it all just live and layering? Yeah. Um, so this organ I was using the other day, and there's something called a cipher, which is you're playing you're playing and a note sticks, so it took us about half an hour to clear that cipher. It was me and three assistants on our backs, underneath the chests, removing 37 screws, two strips of wood, and taking this piece of burnt shellac from 100 years ago out of the works. So that, honestly, for me, it was fun. Like, I was like, I, this is part of composing. It's not in now. the
0: manual. It's not like, in the case of this, uh, no, do it, this.
1: Definitely not. I had to have someone show me. Yeah. So that, when that's the case, then obviously it's good to have some backup samples that we've recorded to use. But um, uh, in some of the cases, some of the weirder instruments where it may take a while to get the sound I want, we'll do it before a project and record a bunch of stuff and then create a small sample library out of that. So.
0: But you also, with the organ, you connected it to a control service, or what was the
1: the story there? We're working on that. We're we're working, so this organ, uh, the one big adjustment I made is between this, this, you know, keyboard, which is really just the remote control. It makes no music by itself. So between that and the pipes and the percussion, we put a computer that was developed in the 80s, which allows any performance, so if, if any one of you sat down at that and hit record and played, it, it, um, it uh, basically records all your movements. So every key that's pressed, every tab that's stopped. A
0: uh, rudimentary automation. Exactly, yeah.
1: absolutely. And then the organ spits it out like a giant player piano. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's uh, something that's been very useful too. What we'll do is uh, for that piece you heard, the end credits, we recorded it, and then we had the computer play it back and recorded that. Um, uh, so I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. But I think, I think a good mix of both is important. Um, yeah, yeah, own Logic, and we're trying to get Logic to talk to this organ. And this organ, whatever it functions on... That this was. this a no USB
0: port? Like, you just no. straight jack it in, and you're good to yeah.
1: go. You know, as someone said, and it's funny, like, what it functions with, as far as the computer goes, it smells like MIDI, tastes like MIDI, looks like MIDI, it's not MIDI. <laughs> so we're trying to get it to interface, and it's... Uh, uh, we'll see. Really cool. Another
0: question right here.
3: Yeah, so, uh, Nathan, I was um, asking this morning uh, Justin Hurwitz, um and also listening to... I've been, I've been noticing this this thing uh, about composers trying to uh, get to compose earlier in the process. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, in, in this case, uh, with the, the clock uh, on the house wall... Also the clock on its yeah, wall. On the wall it's yeah. a long title. It's a long title, yeah. But um, so I was wondering when you came in and, um, and if you find that this is becoming more of a thing, perhaps to, to step in uh, uh, earlier and earlier in the process. And also, if you find that that's, that's helping the process of not having to score to temp music, um, and uh, if directors are asking more for that, you know, how is that if, that, if you see any shift? In that regard
1: yeah I mean the, the biggest example of that I think of from film history is Morricone um, and Sergio Leone, where he he was he had a lot of it scored before the film, right they were listening back on set to his score basically um i don't I, I love that idea, but uh it's really rare and you have, you have to you have to find a director who really wants to commit to that and knows why they want it and and just commits to it a thousand percent um, uh, so i it's pretty rare. And I and think
0: of uh, even Edgar Wright with uh, Baby Driver. I mean, th- that story led into it, but that's like really e- unique ex- example. of Where he of was that. writing to songs, you mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Absolutely. No, I think it's. I think there's something to be said for it, um, but I think it's it's so rare and it's so. The director has so many things on their mind. You know, I I think um, I, I rarely hear about it.
0: I think that's a big point. Is the, like the obviously you and Eli and Justin and Damien and Chazelle like they know each other they're going to be like thinking of each other probably from the script stage. I think that's probably a factor too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the exciting part of that, like for, for this, I did write like a 15-minute suite um, based on the script. I don't think I'd seen anything. And what that did was, it. and, and I think this is the, the biggest strength of what we're talking about right now, is like um, once we're writing to picture, the picture's really dictating so many things. And if we're able to write before it's shot, or early in the script stage, we may go places as composers we never would once we're watching it, and yet it
3: works so well. You know what I mean? So, yeah. That's
0: a great question. We have time for one more? Yeah, go for it. Yeah,
3: so I would like to, thanks for being here, by the way. And no I, worries. I, and I love your score for the Americans. I, I actually listened to it when I wasn't watching the show. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the schedule in a TV series? Like, when do you get it? How many days? And what do you output to the dub stage? You know, Do you do your 5-1 mix at home, or? Yeah, you know, so can you just talk a little bit about the tightness and how that works?
1: Yeah, it depends on the particular show, the Americans, um, and True Blood and all, I think most shows like you have if it's not a network show, so if it's 12 or 13 episodes instead of 26, um y- in the beginning you may have 3 weeks to do an episode, by the end you maybe have 5 days to do an episode. Um so it 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 very much depends. Um and in terms of what I deliver, I I deliver stereo mixes most of the time. Um Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is something for all of us to consider as composers. Like, the more uh, width we give in terms of stems, the more we split things out for the dub stage, um, the smaller the chances are they're going to call us at the ninth hour and say, we need this thing and, and, and pull you off the next episode you're working on. The negative of that is that oftentimes the thing there... Uh, uh, they're gonna start tearing your cue apart. Like, oh, we don't like that piece, pull it down, and it becomes like just a chord under a scene. So there's like, it's a careful balance to to walk, and it's really important to know your filmmakers and and know what their level of understanding of the score is and their level of commitment to what you're doing. Um, I think that's that's super important.
0: Maybe one more? I'm just gonna throw it out there, why not? One more before we close it out. Anyone, and the last, oh,
1: you right there,
3: sorry. One more. Very quick question. Uh, Why did the end credits of The Americans change in season six?
1: It did? (laughs) No.
3: Yeah, I got so uh, accustomed to that coming at the very end because it's a cliffhanger every episode. And then this this season, I just started watching. It's different.
1: You know why I think it changed? I think it changed because when they premiered the first episode in New York, the credits were longer the credits were longer and so they needed something different and they wanted to sort of send the show off with something a bit different than it had been the whole show were you was it an, an annoying change or was it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it also in the main title from season 1 to season 2 they added 4 seconds so i had to add this weird little cello part in there which i think worked out but uh, yeah, there's like that. You guys, you know that has, that stuff happens all the time.
0: You guys, thank you so much for coming in. We'll have a chance to hang out, Nathan. Thank you. But thank you so much.